You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Anu Moralid Haran. She is the Chief Operating Officer and Board Member of Expensify, a company that she took public in 2021. She's also a keynote speaker, and she developed a talk called The Power of Momentum, which tells her story to inspire the audience to embrace self-doubt and focus on personal growth and authenticity. Anu, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. And Laura, you did a great job with my last name, which is a very rare thing. (laughs) Names are great. I think names are fascinating. And of course, the spelling to pronunciation challenges, but it tells so much about a person, where they're from, their history, and it just leads me down a whole rabbit hole of conversation that I will not indulge myself in in the moment. But what I do want to know, Anu, is what's your fun fact? When I was a kid, I learned classical dance. To find classical, we're talking Indian classical dance or? (laughs) Indian classical dance. It's called Bharat Natyam. Mm -hmm. It's practiced more so in South India than North India. Mm -hmm. And I was obsessed with it. And I'm talking from a super young age. I was maybe five when I started and I begged my parents to put me in class. And I learned it for 15 or so years, performed every year, you know, amateur scale. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I actually wanted to do with my life. I wanted to join a professional dance group. I wanted to perform and be everywhere that dance was at the forefront. But, you know, I come from a really modest, very middle-class family. And my mom, very early on, was astutely... I think, recognize that I have this love for finer material things. So every time I would say, this is what I want to do, she would say, yeah, that sounds great. But just know that you're not going to make like a lot of money or anything. Mm. And that's, I think, what made me not pursue it for better or for worse. Here I am. I do think for the better, but. (laughs) That's great. Yes. So classical dance and, you know, for unfortunately, most people are tuning in on an audio only program. Otherwise, I would ask you to demonstrate something because I love all that kind of Bollywood dancing, which I'm sure is not exactly accurate representation of the classical aspects of your dance, but so much fun, nevertheless. So with that, tell us a little bit now about the company. Tell us about Expensify. What is your 30 second elevator pitch? So let me turn that back around to you, Laura. Okay. You like to scan receipts that, you know, you spent for work. Or, you know, do bookkeeping for your business on Friday night? I cannot say that is the top of my to-do list, or at least of my fun list. That makes sense. You're not a total psycho then. Um, (laughs) Most people don't want to do that, right? Like you want to sip a glass of wine or hang out with your partner, hang out with your dog, cat, whatever floats your boat on a Friday night. Yep. But the reality is most employees and most small business owners are in fact stuck doing their expenses, managing their spend, and sort of ticket and tying their books on a Friday night because during the week, they do have to get their actual work done. This is where we come in. We are an expense management application and we cater to both individuals, small business owners, medium business owners, enterprise companies, the entire spectrum. Mm -hmm. Our value prop is you can spend 
take a receipt, snap a picture and forget about it. You don't have to do anything after the fact because we put all of your expense management for you on autopilot. Hmm. You know, very bombastically, we like to say that we exist to clear your path to greatness, but that's only sort of tongue in cheek. That's actually truly our mission. And that's why I love the product and I love the company. That's great. Yeah. Anybody who can take care of my financial record keeping and my receipts and all that kind of stuff. That sounds amazing. Yes. Let's get that off of my to-do list by all means. Thank you. Then what's something that you wish more people understood about either your role as COO, your company with Expensify or your industry? So take that role, that title, COO. Like nobody truly quite knows what a chief operating officer does, right? It's a fluid title. It's vague at best. If someone told you they're a chief financial officer, a chief technical officer, you know the scope of their role, but not so much for a COO. Sure. That's been something that sort of plagued me through my entire career. I could never really very pithily describe, this is what I do. And, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I say double-edged sword because it's annoying to not be able to like say it with great confidence in a brief manner. But it's also cool because ultimately the role that I want has been that of a generalist. What I love and what I consider most valuable is to look at whatever the business needs, what are the top business problems at any given point in time. And I like to think about how I can solve them, like what opportunities exist and how can I bring more focus and attention to them and how can I solve those problems. Recently, I described this to somebody, I can't remember exactly who, but they had a great analogy for it because she went, oh, like a Swiss army knife. And now I've really globbed onto that. Yeah, I'm a Swiss army knife because it sounds great, right? I love that. And, you know, I think part of what you asked was also like, how do I change that? Yes. What is your role then in changing that perception? So now you've got this great analogy of being the Swiss army knife who's got all these little tools to be able to handle whatever problem pops up. How do you let people know in your company or elsewise that that a COO is a resource and a problem solver in this way? Yeah, that's a very astute question because that's the challenge, isn't it? Like, how do you communicate the perception of yourself that you want communicated? I think it has less to do with how you describe your role. It has less to do with how you talk about yourself. In my opinion, it is more about what I do and less about what I say. Okay. So what I mean by that is I think it's valuable to show, don't tell. So my approach has always been, if there is a problem, I keep my ear to the ground. First of all, you need to know when problems occur, right? So you need to have eyes and ears into most parts of your company. So you kind of absorb information. So I've always had that open channel of communication with various people across the organization, not just today when I was COO where I have access, but even when I started as something greater than an intern, really. And what I do is then think about how can I bring some kind of value to that problem? Okay. I think it is about doing the work rather than asking for access or communicating that you can do the work or any kind of language around, I can do it, can I do it versus let's just do some of the groundwork and show up. So I think that's the key, like do the work, then people see you as the person that does the work. It really doesn't matter what your title is. So we want to qualify that this is not to say that when you get to the top, you should still micromanage everything and you should not let go and you should still have your hands in the dirt doing all the tactical and technical work. We're distinguishing that, but there is a matter of looking forensically at 
the nature of a problem to help identify solutions with and or for the team, which is different, again, from that micromanaging work. I agree. If things are going well and everything's under control, you don't need to be there. Like it's already handled. But if things aren't going ideally and if there's something you can contribute and you want to, I think it doesn't matter what your title is or what your role is. If you're willing to do the work, you should jump in because that's what every team needs. Yes. So that's an example of a time when you are able to show up and set the record straight of sort and speak strongly. What's a time when you allowed yourself to be emotionally vulnerable with your team and how did it impact your relationship with them moving forward? Earlier this year, we as a company had this conference that we held for all our employees and all our contractors. We have this pretty large pool of contractors for Mm -hmm. engineering support and sales. And, you know, all of us don't really get together and talk about the company vision or what we're doing. And that makes it a little fragmented. So the goal of the conference was to get everybody together and sort of inspire the base. And it was a five-day conference. I was asked to do the keynote for one of the days. Now, I have done my personal keynote, The Power of Momentum, about half a dozen times before at that point. And it's all about me. It's very raw. It's very vulnerable. It talks about all the challenges I've faced, both posed to me by me and the environment and how I sort of broke through it and how the challenges still exist and how you continue to work through them. Now, I've done it, like I said, half a dozen times, but I've always done it in external audiences. Yes. And something about talking to strangers about your innermost secrets doesn't feel all that intimidating. But I'd never done it in front of all of my colleagues that I work with day in and day out. Yep. And that felt, I didn't think it would, but suddenly it felt very raw and very scary because my worry was, what if they think I'm a poser? What if they think I'm just being theatrical or exaggerating or whatnot? Like, what if they think I have no authenticity, which to me is death. Oh my God, not to be authentic. Sure. So I did it kind of very nervously, but got through it. It went well, but what was incredible was one of my colleagues, I've worked with her for years, after the fact, wrote me to say, you know, she's pretty introverted. She'd never done any kind of public speaking before, but she was on the docket for that day to do a demo in front of a group of people. And she wrote to me to say, I was going to back out of it because I woke up and I didn't feel like I could handle it. And I was getting really nervous and I had all this negative self-talk. And then I went to your keynote in the morning. And hearing that you have all the same negative voices and you work through them just made everything seem so much more possible for me. I don't know what I can achieve down the line, just not sure where any of this will go for me. But that day, I made a difference to one person's day, if not life. Yes. And that's what I'm most proud of. So, you know, it paid off to sort of take that risk. And we all have that. It's so important that leaders at the top share those inner critics, those inner doubts, or the, whoever's voice is still stuck in the head, because we all have it. You know, I, I tease my clients occasionally or when I'm doing a training and they start to express those concerns of those little voices in their head, the, the self-doubt pieces. And I was like, you know what? I hate to tell you this, but your mother lied to you. You're not special. You're just like everybody else. It's <laughs> a good one. Because the fact is, everybody's got it. No matter how confident somebody seems, maybe they are confident in that area, but there's a massive amount of head trash someplace else. And we all need to take out that trash. So it's so powerful to hear those experiences. And clearly you made a difference. I'm guessing not just to that one person that day. She just perhaps was the person who 
voiced what everybody else in that audience was thinking and how awesome that you gave her the courage to stand up and do her first public demo at a conference that way. Uh, It's a fabulous unintended challenge, but one that she chose to take. Absolutely. So then that's a good segue to lead into a different kind of challenge, a much more public one. This is our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So Anu, I want to invite you now to speak directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? So one of the biggest turning points for me in my career was when my career coach actually asked me this seemingly simple question that I had no answer to. And that totally flummoxed me. So I want to ask the audience the same question. I love that word flummoxed. Okay. So I flummoxed her. Let's see if we are flummoxed as well. Go for it. I want everybody that's listening to this to think about how they want to feel when they reach the pinnacle of success, whatever that is to them, how do they want to feel? And not what will they achieve? How will their role change? None of that concrete stuff, just actually how will they feel? Because I think so much of our society and, you know, parental conditioning has been achievement focused, right? We are always rooting for the next big raise or the next amazing job or the next promotion. So everything is defined by milestones. And we never stop to think when I achieve that milestone, how will I feel? And That's a question that we need to answer because ultimately, why are we doing any of this? To be happy, to feel good. So if we have no idea how we will feel and we just chase after it, we get there and we don't quite feel the way we think we feel, which we do know subconsciously, we just never entertained it consciously. And that's when this unhappiness cycle starts. That was my unhappy cycle. I like to call it the hamster wheel. I was always on the hamster wheel. Yes. Every time I achieved something I wanted to achieve, I just felt like there were 10 more things I now needed to achieve. And it just kept expanding like that and got very overwhelming. So I'd love for everybody to between now and maybe tomorrow, just give it some thought. Like, what would you feel? How would you want to feel? And is your current goal going to get you there? I think that's so important because you're absolutely right. We tend to think about what's the next step. Okay, I want to graduate and finish this degree. I want this certification. I want this kind of a job. Now I want this new managerial role. Now I want this senior leadership role, or I want to start my own business. And now I want to scale my business. And I want to go from this revenue, five figures, six figures, seven figures, eight figures, and more worth of revenue every year. Okay, so you get those milestones. And then what do you do? Just kind of have a drink to sort of celebrate if you do that. And then you say, okay, what's next? We are perpetually chasing or struggling, I think, with these feelings of dissatisfaction. It's like, okay, I'm here. It's it's not what I thought it was going to be. Or why am I not happy? I bought the new car. Why am I not happy? I bought the new house. Why am I not happy? We know that money technically doesn't buy happiness, that things don't buy happiness, much as retail therapy, you know, in the moment tells us otherwise, and you know, the backs of our brains is part of that hamster brain part of us. But what are we really wanting? What would make us genuinely happy? So to really think about what would that look like and set that as the goal, as opposed to the thing you're going to check off the list, the status and the status symbol for that matter. So that's that's such a beautiful challenge. So I hope everybody even pause the recording right now and just ask yourself 30 seconds. What would make me happy is what I'm striving for going to make me happy. What would that feel like? What is happiness? Oh, good. All right. I'm not going to get off my philosophical soapbox now and move on. So thank you for that challenge. I'm going to think about that, too. Although I have to say, I'm truly blessed that I love doing this. 
I love my job and I love these kinds of connections. And when I get feedback from everybody else out there saying, you know, I, I heard this and thank you for that comment from so-and-so in the post that really made a difference. So please do let us know, of course. Go to speakingtoinfluence.com in the contact page and let us know what you love. With that, I knew you just told us a time when you were vulnerable, but how nervous were you? And what was, if not then, what was the most nervous that you ever got before a presentation or a speaking engagement? And what communication-related lessons did you learn from it? Because you're a keynote speaker, which means you like that stuff. Were you always super easy, confident, comfortable, or were there ever hardcore nerves that kicked in? Absolutely not. So this is, oh my God, speaks directly to my heart, this question. Because, <laughs> okay. you know, when I'm talking to my therapist, I always say this. I go after these speaking engagements. I want them. I did it completely out of the desire of my heart. And yet before every one of them, and I'm not talking a day or half a day, I'm talking weeks before every one of them, I dread them. Really? And I'm so nervous about it. And I question myself, why can't I just chill out? Like, why did I need to go after this? And now this is causing all this stress and anxiety in my life. And I'm always talking to her and asking, like, do you think I subconsciously don't want it? Like, why am I so stressed out? And, you know, her answer is always, this is still new to you. And it takes time to get comfortable and feel like it's second skin. It may be a little more than that. I think nerves come when you're just really passionate about doing something and doing it well. And so there's a performance pressure part that I think I'll never get over. My approach to getting over it, though, or like doing a good job or sort of managing it, let's just say, is to prepare. If I'm super prepared, it helps me overcome that anxiety and get a little bit more excited. So I prepare early. I prepare a lot. At some point, it's even boring to do it again and again, but I will force myself to do it. Because if I can do it in my sleep, then there's so much as there's ever any guarantee of success, that's the guarantee of success for me. And then right before I have this other goofy thing I do, you know that song, uh, Fort Minor song? 10% skill, 20% luck, 15% concentrated power of will. I'm dating myself. <laughs> I don't think I know the song, but I have to go look it up now. What's the name of it? It's called Remember the Name. Okay. By this artist called Fort Minor. My husband makes fun of me that that's really the only good song they ever made. Oh, there's tons of one hit wonders. So, you know, that being said, if it's a darn good song, you know, you let it go. You can't not love it just because they didn't have another one. Yes. Okay. It's all like, actually, I got it wrong. 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will. And it goes on like that. Like, you know, work, yeah. perspiration. Like, so I'm just always like pumping myself up right before. Like, this is what it is about. This isn't about it's only 10% luck. Yes, yes. And really, what is luck but when preparation meets opportunity? So even that, you will want to be ready for it. So look, everybody does get nervous. Everybody gets butterflies. I always say it's not bad to have butterflies. Butterflies mean that you're passionate to your point, that you this is important. And if there's no butterflies, then that means that you need a different job because you've totally lost your passion. Your heart's not in this anymore. So butterflies are good. We just kind of want them to learn to fly in formation and not overrun the farm. So that's the task. That's the task. Now, what about a time when you needed to truly inspire others? What did you say and or how did you say it? How did it go? Whenever someone asks me about how do you inspire or inspiration in general, I always get this and I got it just now, this immediate wave of imposter syndrome, like who mm. am I to inspire anybody? That's a real big challenge. You should have an entire show on just, if you haven't already, I bet you have. 
But the instance that comes to mind is actually maybe a few months ago, I was asked to do the company All Hands. And this is no secret because we're a public company. Our number one priority right now is to get our core growth rate back to pre-COVID levels because it's been one thing after the other, COVID, then a macroeconomic crisis and war and whatnot. So it's been challenging. Now, I didn't want the all hands that I did to be a big Rara cheerleader moment. That's great. And there's a time and a place for that. But it's not really my style. And I didn't feel it would be authentic if I did that. On the other hand, what I wanted to do was sort of bring a little bit more transparency, bring a little bit more visibility into how core growth is doing, what are the different drivers, and sort of do a before and after so I can help everybody understand where opportunities lie. The reason I want to do this is because our product roadmap is a very ambitious one, and it is meant to solve for a lot of our core growth challenges, but it's a product roadmap, right? So there are a few product people and a lot of engineers that are sort of attacking that solution. That leaves a large swath of the company in a waiting cycle. And I can't remember who said it, but the saying goes, our greatest fears lie in anticipation. So that Mm. folding pattern is what makes everybody anxious. Yeah. So my message, which I wanted to deliver was, look, guys, here are all the growth drivers and here are the opportunities. Here are just some ideas of how we could make these individual nuanced growth drivers better. Every one of you can identify something here which is in your wheelhouse, and you can jump in and do whatever little you can. And the sum total of all that could move the needle, like we have to believe and try. And it'll be fun to do that together as a team. So let's do it. Like that was the message I wanted to deliver and delivered ultimately. But my fear was that when I break all of this down in all of its gory detail, that it would get too overwhelming. Mm. Best case, it's dry. Worst case, it's overwhelming and scary. And if you do an all hands and after that, people are more anxious than before and a bunch of people leave, you've just obviously failed. So that was the fear. But I kind of did it anyway because it felt like a good use of time and I couldn't think of any other way to sort of communicate that point. And it actually went pretty well after the fact we did take up a lot of those drivers and are trying to move the needle on all of them. And a lot of people directly messaged me to say they want to come along for the ride and we have a lot of engagement in a lot of these projects. And ultimately, there's this shift in energy, however small, both in the company, but also in me that made work more fun. And really, that's a great outcome. So it worked out. That's awesome. That's awesome. And just really giving everybody the the opportunity, putting it in their minds, find the driver that correlates most closely to what you do and think about what impact you can have. And that seems like it would be a good conversation to then address the leaders, whether they're managers or executives, but whoever leads a team of whatever sort to say, good, let's debrief this then in our next team meeting to say, which ones did you identify and what are we going to change as far as our goals, our KPIs? You know, great way to throw down the gauntlet and challenge everyone. And I hope they chose to pick it up. Yeah, we do a core growth update weekly now. So it's kind of, you know, like we have some momentum. Momentum is a really favorite word of mine. (laughs) Yes, yes. Now, when you've interviewed people in the past, tell me about a candidate you spoke to where you thought to yourself, wow, you know, this person really has it. What was the it factor and how did you recognize it? So for me to just set the stage, What I find exciting about a person is less to do with their functional skills 
like we need some basic functional of skills, course, absolutely. But I find people who have curiosity, who have ambition, who are just interesting, very fun to be around because it gets really boring to work with someone who just wants to do the thing you ask them to do and then call it a day. Yeah. On the other hand, if you can have a good energy kind of bouncing off each other and get creative together, that's more fun. I can't say that I've interviewed these two people because I wasn't in an interviewer capacity at the time, but there are two of my colleagues who are now really close friends of mine. So Kevin and Cole, and if they hear this, hopefully they aren't thrown back by the fact that I mentioned them by name. I think it's great if they're that solid of people that you were called out. So great role models continue. So these are two people I love working with because every project that I do with them, I bring a certain skill set to the table, but they bring very complementary skills to the table. And they're able to take what is just an idea in my brain and give it a lot of form and shape. They're able to give me content, data, information, homework, really, that makes that idea really start to take shape and become real. And they have this curiosity mindset of, okay, this hasn't been done before, but could it be done? And what you're saying sounds crazy, but let's just kind of go through the flow and see if we can do it. And then also stay the hall. So one of my favorite TED Talks, actually, besides yours, Laura, is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice save on you. Nice save. <laughs> is actually Angela Duckwoods. I bet you've... Yes, yes. All about grit. She's fabulous. She's a uh, psychologist from the University of Pennsylvania. Amazing. Continue. I love her message. And when I first heard it, I felt almost relief. Because isn't it amazing to know it's not about your genetic abilities. It's not about your talent or looks or really anything. It's really about perseverance and grit. Mm-hmm. that's what I like about these two colleagues of mine, Kevin and Cole, that I'm talking about. Like we get together, we work on things and we just don't give up. And so long as you persist, I think success is inevitable. And that's what I love. And, you know, there's a lot of other people I haven't mentioned by name that also embody these traits at work. But that's what I find exciting about people I work with. I think grit is such an under-recognized quality. It is not something you can really put on a resume. It's not something that I ever see on evaluation forms. You know, how gritty is this person to your point? And anybody who hasn't seen it yet, we'll put it in the show notes, but highly recommend checking out Angela Duckworth's TED Talk. It's it's older now. You're probably 10 years or so uh, little older than mine, but it's all about what makes you could have two kids, two siblings, two twins born, and one's just got more grit than the other. And that they've identified that as kind of the X factor of what may allow one person to just be so much more successful, define success however you want, and the other struggle, you know, if all other factors being equal, that is, you know, so with that in mind, check your grit factor, check your grit meter, see where it is and in what areas are you more gritty or what inspires you to be grittier one way or another. So great things to think about. Last but not least, Anu, tell me something that you do to create a little bit more fun for Expensify. So we are a very fun company. So my job is kind of easy. We love to travel and we always have been a very global team, very distributed. But with COVID, more people sort of went to places that they really wanted to live and discovered what they truly want out of their life, which is great. So now we're more distributed than ever, more remote than ever. So twice a year, we do a company trip. This year, we went to two places. We went to Iceland in the first half of the year. And then we went to Bali last three weeks, actually. Amazing. 
you know, when I joined the company, we've always done this. When we joined the company, there would always be the speculation. Like, at what point are we too big to do this? Mm-hmm. We, we are 140 employees, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we were small. But at the time that we had the speculation, we probably half of that. Sure. We are still doing it. We still find a framework that makes our time when we travel very productive. Yes. We get the whole team together. Everyone hangs out every day after hours. They go out for a drink or go out to dinner. They work together from cafes all day during the week. And the last week of Bali, which is, we call it offshore, but the last week of offshore, we pay and bring all of the employees plus ones, kids if they have kids. And the intention really is to get to know each other on a deeper level. So we're not just people that work together, but, you know, when there is that inevitable skirmish, let's call it, over some project, this is a person whose wife you've met or husband you've hung out with and, you know, you've had drinks together, you bungee jumped maybe or something. They're a person. They're not just a name on the email to frame where you're going to just hit something and and launch whatever your complaint is at them. There's a human on the other end. It's amazing. We call it putting goodwill into the bank account because later you may have to withdraw it. <laughs> yes, yes. That's social capital that you're building. Exactly. So let me get this straight just in case I misunderstood or the audience missed it. Twice a year, you go on a three-week international excursion with all 140 or however many at the time, all employees. And so for part of that time, for the first at least two weeks or so, you are working there together, whether it's in a hotel rooms, conference rooms or rented space or something, but in that remote place, be it Bali or Iceland. And then after hours, five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever it is, everybody goes to dinner, everybody socializes with each other, et cetera. And then the last week is just a fun week of mostly vacation kind of time. And you're bringing in their families. So it could be their partner or spouse and children and as many people as they want. That's unbelievable. Life correction. Okay. It's one week, the beginning of the year, which okay. is just employees. Okay. And then three weeks, the latter half of the year, okay. which includes plus ones for the last week. But even the last week, we do still work during the day. Okay. But what we've done is organized plus one activities. Insofar as the plus one is not also working, which some people are. Right, right, right. If they're not working, then they can go to the activities. And the intention really is so they don't get bored and they don't feel like them coming out is a waste of time if you're going to be Right, right, right. If you're not available, but they can hang out and socialize with each other and have some fun, then that actually also builds the social capital because they can tell you about the family or the partner or the whoever of the other people. I think that's amazing. So kudos to you. And I'm going to quit my job and go join Expensify for at least four weeks a year. That sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) Anu, it is unfortunately time to wrap things up. This has been amazing. How can people learn more about you and Expensify? So I'm on LinkedIn. Anuradha Muralidharan. And, you know, there may be a lot of us because it's actually a pretty common name. So (laughs) I would suggest just using my full name and then adding an Expensify, you'll definitely find me. We will, of course, put that link in the show notes so people can find it nice and easily. Then we won't make them guess how to spell it. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, because then it's a lost cause. So (laughs) I appreciate that. And if you do reach out to me on LinkedIn, Please maybe reference that you heard me on Laura Sikola's show so I know where you're coming from and the context. And then if you are an employee that is doing your receipts on a Friday night, or if you're a small business owner that is sort of sick of month-end closes and filing your taxes is a problem for you, then please check us out. Go to www.expensify.com. You can sign up for free. 
There are a lot of options for individuals that are free forever. If you're a small business owner, you can get a free trial. If you want any details about any of that, also please hit me up on LinkedIn and I'd be happy to get you to the right person. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anu. It's been a great conversation. What an honor. Thank you. And to everybody else out there, of course, thank you for listening. As always, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.